Romans 5, 20 and 21, he's writing to this church and he says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more. Everyone say more. More abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So from this passage today, I just want to title uh, this message, God's Grace. And I want to talk about that today. Let's pray. Ask the Lord to minister through his word. Father, we love you. We thank you for your people that are here today. We thank you, God, for every guest, friend, family. God, I pray now that as your word goes forth, that it would illuminate our heart and mind. That we would have ears to hear the word, a heart to receive it. I pray that your spirit would minister through your word. And I pray today, God, that we would leave here with a fresh understanding of your grace and that we would leave here with greater faith than we've ever had before. We love you, we honor you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Could we clap our hands to the Lord one more time? Amen. And uh, as I've heard it said, uh, thank you for not giving Jesus a golf clap. Uh, but even in golf, when they get that hole-in-one or a birdie or an eagle, that crowd isn't silent. And so, man, if somebody can just put a little ball in a hole and they go crazy, I think we ought to be excited about Jesus. And I thank you for your exuberance in, in Jesus. Um, we, we find in reading the epistles of the Apostle Paul that there's this common occurrence um, that accompanies blessings that he writes and they're found in his farewells. They're found in his greetings. Statements such as, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. He's writing to a church. He's writing to people that are at different levels in their walk with God. He's, he's writing perhaps to seasoned saints and as we call them, new converts. He's writing to people that maybe they showed up to this gathering where Paul's letter would be read to this congregation. That's their first time there. And he's writing to people that have been there for a long time. And he says, grace be with you all. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. He says something else in one of his letters. He says, be strong. Everyone say, be strong. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then he ends one by simply saying, grace be with you. Paul mentions grace 85 times in his letters. And if you believe that he wrote the book of Hebrews, that number then increases to 92 times that he pins this word grace. And obviously... It's an important concept to Paul. It's an important subject to him. It is, it is laced all throughout his letters. And this Paul, this apostle to the Gentiles, a man who suffered much, 
but through Christ accomplished much. We find simply by reading the majority of our New Testament that grace is on the forefront of his mind. It is the focal point of his ministry. He makes another statement in his letter to the Corinthians. He says, I am what I am by the grace of God. Whatever you see now, whoever you see now, I am simply this by the grace of God. Does that resonate with anyone's spirit today? If there's anything in me that you see that is good or that is changing for the good or that I'm a better person now than I've ever been before, I want to remind you today it is only by the grace of God that that is possible. Is anyone thankful for the grace of God today? It is this man that declares in our text, he says, that where sin abounded, wherever sin abounds, the place, the person that sin abounds. Paul makes this statement, grace did much more abound. He didn't say it abounded more. He said it much more did abound. But sin, what is sin? The definition literally is an offense. Sin is an offense. But what was offended? The law. God's law. God's precepts. God's principles. What is pleasing to God. God's level of morality was offended and so our sin offends God's law our sin offends God's way uh, it means to miss miss no matter how hard we try we miss the mark sometimes no archer hits bullseye every single time and if they get to a point that they do begin to hit it every single time, it's because they missed a lot in the process of trying to hit the mark every single time. So it is in our walk with God. You and I are not going to hit the mark every single time. If we do, we don't need a Savior. The whole reason why we needed a Savior the whole reason why we needed Jesus to die on the cross. And in case anyone was wondering, we needed Jesus to die on the cross. There was no other substitute. There was no other sa sacrifice that would be satisfactory to pay the price of our sin to redeem us from death. We needed Jesus to die on the cross. It wasn't just some good idea that uh, fostered some religion that's been around for 2,000 years. I want to remind the people of God today that if there's any good in you, it's only first because Jesus died on the cross. You haven't been good enough long enough for you to no longer need the cross. I don't care how long we've been sitting on a pew. I don't care how long we've been dressed up, cleaned up. You and I today still need the cross. 
It is the blood that gives us strength from day to day. It will never lose its power. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Who was that Lamb? It was Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sin of the world. Is anyone thankful for the cross today? When you think about the cross, does it do something to your spirit where you say, I got to lift a hand and I got to say, thank you, Jesus, all over again? Is there something about that cross when you think back over it again, you realize if it wasn't for the cross, there'd be no hope for me? Is there anybody that believes that today? cross the message of the cross is something that has to be preached until jesus comes and if it doesn't incite gratitude in our heart today i think we may be a little more lost than we think we are saved because if we get to a place where the cross no longer moves us then you are admitting that you're living for god out of your own righteousness and that is self-righteousness and that is simply a deception that you're righteous but the righteousness that we have, the righteousness that actually saves us is simply the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ is only available through his cross. It doesn't matter how consistent you are. It doesn't matter how holy you are. It doesn't matter how, uh, how, how your track record may be. If there is any consistency in us, if there is any holiness in us, if there is any goodness in us, it is only because of God's grace, which was demonstrated and made available to us through his cross. And so Paul is teaching this to the early church. He planted a lot of churches. He went through all of Asia and into Europe, and, and he started churches and cities that were very pagan. And he constantly reminds them about the cross of Jesus Christ. Every time they start to get a little crazy, he brings them back to the cross, and he reminds them about God's grace. And he wants to communicate to the church in Rome that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Uh, on our worst days, we've missed the mark, obviously. But on our best days, if, we're think, if we think we're doing good and we take pride in our goodness, we've missed the mark. I'm good. I don't, I don't need any more of Jesus. I'm going to coast as I am. We've missed the mark. We, we don't stop needing Jesus based off of our tenure in his church. Every day there's breath in your body, you still need him to get through that day. And there's gotta be a soft spot in our heart for that reality. I need thee, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Not every day, every hour 
I need thee. There's not an hour that goes by that you don't need Jesus. And there shouldn't be an hour that goes by where we don't acknowledge the fact we need Jesus. I need you to get me through this meeting. I need you to get me through this day. I need you to get me through this appointment. I need you to get me from my home to my job. I need you, God. How many times have you been commuting to your job and an angel of the Lord prevented an accident from taking place? Oh, that doesn't happen. Okay, how many things has God kept you from that you didn't know about? The answer is you don't know. You don't know what all God's kept you from, but the blood of Jesus has covered you. The Spirit of God has kept you, and the angel of the Lord that encampeth round about you has protected you. We need Jesus today. Every single hour, we need Jesus. Somebody say amen. Feels like I'm starting to get through to the people of God now about the fact we need Jesus. There, there's this understanding that Paul says, though the offense abounds and we've missed the mark abundantly, grace does much more abound. And, and it's a, and a beautiful uh, communication of the grace of God that no matter what sin is committed, no matter what part of God's law is broken, no matter what transgression of God's way is committed, grace does much more abound. In other words, he's saying it doesn't matter what we do, grace does much more abound. And then as he uh, moves on into the next chapter of the book of Romans, he has to kind of pull the reins back on this incredible statement about God's grace. And he says, so do we continue in sin? Because no matter what we do, grace just does much more abound. And he says, God forbid. Somebody say, God forbid. God forbid. We've, we've got to quit sinning. We've got to come out of sin. At some point, we've got to strive to actually hit the mark. We've got to actually begin to live a life of obedience to God and live in a way that is pleasing to God. So Paul says, do we continue in sin that grace does much more abound? God forbid. How can we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? And so this idea of God's grace does much more abound. It, it superabounds. It exceeds. It's over. Grace is over sin. But Paul, and when he's communicating this statement, grace does much more abound, he uses the words of this to be in excess. Grace does much more abound. Excessive excessive he uses this idea in the statement of grace does much more abound it means more than necessary now now when I, when I when I came across this understanding by studying this phrase out more than necessary I just began to chuckle about the fact of how God operates sin abounds and there's a certain amount if you will of God's grace necessary to uh, push back the sin to help us overcome sin but God doesn't give us what we need he gives us more than what we need 
This idea of how God dispenses his grace is he says, you need this much to overcome this sin. No problem. I'm going to give you this much. His grace, he gives it in such a way where it is more than necessary. You don't need that much grace, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. That's the abundant mindset of God. God is not a God that's stingy with his grace. He's not a God that is reserved with his love. The love of God was shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which was given to us. Shed abroad is this idea. He just kind of spilled it all over us. He just kind of allowed it to just kind of overwhelm and overcome us. That's the type of God that we serve, the type of God that we love. He gives us more than what we need. It's excessive. It's, it's more than necessary. But understanding grace, understanding this concept of grace, understanding this idea of grace, Paul gives us another insight of grace, God's grace, the same grace we've been talking about, but in a different light. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, he says, Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul's writing this letter to the church in Corinth. Because this is the church he started. These are the people that he had reached. And he has started this church. And other ministers came along. And they would be visiting ministers. And they would begin to contradict Paul. And they would begin to tear down Paul's character and try to cause him to be viewed in a negative light in the eyes of the people that he reached. Uh, to attack his character and his ministry. And these people would come with this idea of, I'm a super apostle. I'm super spiritual. And they would seek to uh, attack Paul. Now, Paul, in our eyes, is one of the greatest apostles who ever lived. Imagine taking a shot at the apostle Paul. The man who uh, was used by God to cause a wizard to become blind. A man who was stoned and left for dead but didn't die and got up and kept preaching. A man who was shipwrecked, beaten. A man who went into Ephesus and turned it upside down pretty much all by himself, impacting hundreds of thousands of people. That man, he, he's, he's not who he's, 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 he's not that big of a deal. And, and so they would go in. And so Paul comes in and he begins to defend himself 
in there in the eyes of the church at Corinth. And he makes reference to a vision where he was caught up in the third heaven. But he doesn't give them the satisfaction of knowing what he saw. He just referenced it. Yeah, I had this experience and this experience. And I could go on and boast. And, I, you know, the signs of an apostle are this, this, and this, which were made manifest and visible to you before your very eyes. But then he goes on to explain the cost of revelation. He goes on to explain that if you're going to be used greatly by God, there is a dear price to pay for this reason. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. And he says what this thorn was, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. God allowed the enemy to stay on Paul's trail for the rest of his life and keep him kneeling before God because it kept him humble. Because God used Paul very greatly. And so God had to put something in Paul's life to keep him balanced. Commentary explains this to us that we gain a glimpse of Paul's understanding of the mysterious ways of grace. Because grace is a mystery, it's hard to explain. You hear it kind of cheapened in, in uh, definition. It's the unmerited favor of God. You don't feel the favor of God when there's a thorn in your flesh. You don't feel the favor of God when the messenger of Satan is buffeting you. Buffet, it means to punch in the face. Which means that Paul's battle, the majority of the time, was a mind game. We talked about the mind last week. We, we, we see here in this understanding... Paul had a mind battle where God allowed the enemy to constantly attack his mind that would keep him in a position of God is giving me revelation and using me, but there is this element where it is keeping me humble before the Lord. And so what we see here is that what kept Paul fresh in the good fight of faith was indeed a thorn in the flesh. Because if we're allowed to get comfortable... We become complacent. And when we become complacent, we become carnal. And when we become carnal, we're no longer Christian. We're no longer pleasing to God. In fact, we are the enemy of God. And so what we see is Satan has been granted access to Paul much like he had been to Job. However, Paul does not bemoan his condition. He just turns the attention from the thorn to the rose. And he said, I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said, the Lord responded, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul prayed three times for this thorn to be removed. Jesus prayed three times for the cup to pass. In the context of both prayers, 
It was about suffering. Jesus, let this cup pass from me. It wasn't the cup of death. It wasn't the cup of sin. It was the cup of suffering. Paul prayed three times that this thorn in the flesh, which involved suffering, be removed. What we need to be reminded of today is that as the people of God, we are not exempt from suffering. And the reality of it is, is if we're going to do anything for God, if we're going to be anything for God, I will be what you've called me to be. I'll say yes, Lord, yes. The call in the altar is an incredible experience. It's wonderful. It's great. And then the journey begins and all of a sudden suffering comes along the way. And the more we say yes to being used by God, the more suffering will be involved. If you're going to do anything for God, you're going to suffer. Sometimes I think that's why some people don't do anything for God. They don't want to suffer. Jesus said, though, if you're going to follow me, you've got to take up, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Any follower of Jesus is going to suffer. And even if you're not following Jesus, but Jesus has his eye on you, he'll use suffering to get your attention. Hear me today. Paul is on the road to Damascus thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm in the will of God. I am defending the one true God of Israel. All these Jesus followers who have fallen after this false Christ, I am going to imprison them and kill them, and I am going to blot out this new movement of Christianity because I am Paul. I am part of the Pharisees. I am a Jew of Jews, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and I am on a mission to stop what is in opposition to God. And he's on the road to Damascus, and all of a sudden, he is struck down to the ground, blinded. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he realizes, well, this is definitely a more powerful being than I. Who are you, Lord? But when he said, Lord, there's only one Lord in the mind of a Hebrew. So he's saying, I thought I knew God. God, who are you really? I thought I knew who God was. But God allowed suffering into Paul's life so that Paul could get the true revelation of who God was. And when Paul finally blinded in his eyes, but enlightened in his spirit, humbled before the Lord, he says, who are you, Lord? The response was, I am Jesus. I don't care what suffering has to come into my life. I just want to know Jesus. If there's something blinding me, take me off my high horse and let me see you, Jesus. Grace is something that is a part of God's plan, but he also allows suffering into our life. 
Paul's prayer later on with the thorn in the flesh. Remove this. My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. One writer states that life is about limitations. We don't like limitations, but life is about limitations. It is not the sail alone that makes the kite fly. It is the string that anchors it to the earth, enabling it to soar. Resistance is what causes there to be the, 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 the beauty of the kite flying through the sky. It, it's the limitation is the key to the one who will endure. Moses had it. He was called to lead stubborn people. Gideon had it. His was fear. Samuel, youth. How many young people did God use in the Bible? He used a lot more young people than we think. And all 12 of his disciples were under the age of 30. Yet he used them to further his church in the book of Acts. God is not afraid of youth. God is wanting to raise up a young generation in these last days who will go into the streets and preach the gospel and be a light in this last generation. Amen. Amen. That's why I'm thankful a couple Wednesday nights ago we were about to get ready to start service. And my wife says, there's so many young people here. That's a good thing. We need all generations. We want every generation. But it's a good thing when the church is healthy and balanced and there is an age group for every age demographic. Because that means this is a place for anyone and everyone. And I want to go on record today and say this. This church is a place for anyone and everyone, and anyone can be who God has called them to be. We are not to limit ourselves. We allow God to put the limitations on our life. That comes through suffering. David his was Goliath. Jeremiah was unpopular. He was a prophet called to preach to God's people, and they would never listen to him. Somebody say, poor Jeremiah. I mean, was he out of the will of God? No. He was just given a very heavy burden to carry. Jesus, his cross. John his Patmos, and Paul, his thorn. In each case, though, it wasn't in spite of these things that the work of God moved forward. It was because of these things. There would be no salvation without the cross of Christ. There would be no book of Revelation without the Isle of Patmos. There would be no second Corinthians letter without Paul's thorn. There would be no victory without David feeding Goliath. In life, we have two choices. Hear me today. In life, we have two choices. We can live by our own strength. Or we can live by God's grace. And here's the deal. Grace only has one condition. Only will work through the week. And so if grace isn't at working in our lives, he'll allow suffering into our life to weaken us so his grace can then 
work through us. Don't despise the thorn. Don't despise the suffering. Let it do to you what it did to Paul. It pushed him to prayer until he came to this understanding. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Human strength is actually weakness. Human weakness is the only avenue in which we can become strong through God's grace. So what we see here then is we, if, as we've broken down this passage today, what really is grace? The unmerited favor of God? No. That's a very elementary definition. Because as I've said before, you don't feel very favored in suffering. Paul didn't feel very favored when God allowed an evil spirit to continually beat him with mind games. Jesus didn't feel very favored as he carried his cross. But there was something in Jesus that endured the joy set before him, understanding that this road of suffering is necessary. What is then grace? It is simply this. Paul says that it is the power of Christ resting upon me. What is grace? It is this. It is the power to keep going. That's grace. That is grace. Grace is the power to keep going. That when you feel like throwing in the towel because there's so much that's happened in your life that you're like, what is the point? I'll tell you what the point is. Jesus is the point. Heaven is the point. Anything going on down here is not the reason. Jesus is the reason. Heaven is the reason. What causes you to get up in the morning and endure another day? It's the grace of God. What causes you to keep praying prayers that you haven't seen the fulfillment of them yet? It is the grace of God. Your human ability is going to wear out, but there's a power that comes to you that says pray it one more time preach it one more time reach out one more time there's something in you sometimes where you're like what's the point I'm just going to quit I'm going to give up because I'm not seeing the reason for it but Paul gives us the reason I'm, I'm just going to keep going forward because of the grace of God it's the power to keep going. You see, infirmities are mental and physical weaknesses. And so Paul says, I will then take pleasure in my physical and mental weaknesses. He says, in reproaches, which is this expression of disapproval, insult, and discredit. When someone disproves your reputation, when someone discredits your validity, when someone comes at you and insults you in your face or behind your back, you're suffering reproach for Christ's sake. If you're not on the devil's radar, no one gives you any attention. 
But what we see here is if you're suffering infirmities, if you've suffered reproaches, necessities, which is distress and need. All of us here today have a need. You're suffering that for Christ's sake. Persecution, trial, tribulation, and simply pressure. We gladly endure these things because there is a power in us. There is a power on us that no matter who comes at us, no matter what comes our way, no matter what we endure, there is a power to keep us going, and it is simply the grace of God. It does much more abound. Your trial may seem like it's abounding, but God has more grace than what you need to get through your trial. People may be attacking you, and it seems like it's abounding, but God has more grace than what you need to get through that reproach. It's the power of God. There's a power that'll keep you going. There's a power that'll keep you praying. There's a power that'll keep you worshiping. It's the grace of God. And what we need to remember today is that this power is not some separate thing that we have to seek for. It's not something that we have to ask God for. Grace comes to us when we're filled with the Holy Ghost. Because Jesus said, you shall receive grace. Power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And the same power that Jesus was talking about in Acts 1 is the same power that Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians. The same power of the Holy Ghost that makes you a witness is the same power that will keep you going. It's not different powers. If there's something in you that you just keep going, you just keep living for God, you just remain faithful, you keep praying. You're not complacent, you're faithful. You're not carnal, but you're on fire of the Holy Ghost. That no matter what comes off you, it just rolls off you like a water rolls off the back of a duck. It doesn't matter what's coming at me. It doesn't matter what I've endured. I'm still on fire for God. I'm still dead to this world. I'm still praying fervent prayers. I'm still worshiping with all of my heart. I'm telling you today, the reason why you can do that is because of the power of the Holy Ghost. And if there's something in you today where you've stopped doing that, I'm here today to call you back. You need a refilling of the Holy Ghost. Baptize me with the Holy Ghost and fire. The same power that calls you to be a witness is the same power that keeps you going. So if that power has kept you going, then that power can also make you a witness. I can't witness. I'm afraid to speak. No, 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 no. The grace of God can defeat your sin. The grace of God can help you endure a thorn in the flesh. The grace of God can also make you a witness for his glory. There's the limitation right there. Some of us are limiting God. We don't need to limit God. We need to allow God to bring things into our life that calls us to be anchored to him to do what he desires us to do. And we find here in Acts 4.33, with great power gave the apostles witness 
of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Great power. Where did they get that great power? The Holy Ghost. They gave witness of the resurrection. How could they give witness? The Holy Ghost. And great grace was upon them all. They had faced persecution. This verse was written after they had appeared before religious leaders and told to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And they were beaten and they were imprisoned and they were disgraced and they were reproached for Christ's sake. And they come out uh, excited and, uh, and celebrating that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Uh, if somebody's talking about you, you're doing something right. Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you. I, I get worried when everybody loves me. I'm not here to be a man pleaser. I'm here to be a God pleaser. I'm going to do what God said do. I'm going to say what God said say. We're going to go where God says go because it's him that I'm here to please. Is there anyone else in the house today? I want to be a God pleaser. I want to do the will of God. And so they, they faced all of this. And then after they prayed... You see, the persecution and suffering brought them together to pray. I'm trying to wrap up here, but the suffering and persecution in Acts 4 brought the church together to pray. The suffering and persecution that we faced in 2020 because of COVID did not bring the church as a whole together to pray, but we saw the chasms even in local congregations. We want to be like the book of Acts church. When things get tough, we ought to come together, not scatter. And they came together and they prayed. And then it says, great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Great persecution brought great power. Great power brought a great witness, and great grace was upon them all. And it all started because of suffering. There ought to be something in the people of God where we fan into flame again the gift of God that is in us. When it feels like the light of the Holy Ghost is seeking to be quenched in our life. We ought to go to our God in prayer. I need you to keep me burning. I've got to endure. I've got to overcome. And you can't do it on your own. There's only one thing that keeps us going. And it's not a reason to feel down in your spirit. It's a reason to offer God great praise. What keeps us going not our will. Because Jesus let that die in the garden, but he kept going. I live for God because I want to. What about all the days you don't want to? What keeps you going? People don't like to talk about this, but many times if we sit on the pew consistently, we think we're living for God. Are we living for God? How many times have we been disengaged in our mind from him for a week or two or three 
What did you do with those three weeks? No, but if there's something in us, I can only live for God because of his grace. And even on the days where my will is warring against his will, I can let my will die and still keep on going. What is that? That's God's grace. And no matter how much grace you need to keep going, he's always going to throw in way more than what you need. That's the God we serve. Aren't you thankful we serve that kind of God? You can keep going. You can keep enduring. You can go through anything and come out victorious, and the power of God will be at work in your life. It's because of his grace. Why don't we worship him in this house right now? If you're truly thankful for his grace, would you begin to magnify his name? Would you begin to lift up the name of Jesus in this house? Would you honor him? Would you glorify him? Oh, Father, we magnify you in this place. God, I thank you for your grace. God, I thank you for the power to keep going. Even in our weaknesses, you keep us strong. Only through our weaknesses, oh God, is your strength made perfect. God, I pray, Lord, that we would not believe the lie of the enemy. I can't keep going. No, we can keep going. And the only reason why is because of God's grace. The only reason we can endure is because you have given us something, God, that is priceless, something that is powerful, that the enemy may come against us, but the grace of God will see us through. People may forsake us, but the grace of God will see us through. We go through trials and tribulations, valleys and, and situations, but the grace of God is an anchor pulling us through every season, every trial, every situation. Today, if you want to come to this front, I think it would be appropriate for the people of God through the demonstration of faith to come to this front and simply thank God for his grace.